Hey, good morning, church. Uh, it's good to see everybody this morning. And if you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. And we're wrapping up our series on the parables of Jesus, especially some of the lesser uh, taught ones. Uh, and today we're looking at what's called the parable of the ten virgins. And um, it's one that's extremely poignant for the time in which we live because we live in a time in which people are very caught up in the now. And what Jesus says in so many of his parables is, be ready, be ready, be prepared, be ready, be prepared, be prepared, be ready. And he says it in a hundred different ways. He tries to help us understand even that the things of this life, like we looked at in the Good Samaritan, who you are before you encounter the guy in the ditch, going back to that parable, uh, is going to have a lot to do with how you respond when you see the guy in the ditch. So becoming who you want to be when you, if and when you meet that person, being ready for when you encounter those people is almost as important as how you respond in the moment. Uh, you see things like the parable of the talents where the master is returning and you're going to give an account. Last week, the parable of the shrewd manager, the master is returning, you need to give an account. Uh, the parable of the great banquet, God's throwing a banquet, he passes out the invites and everybody accepts. They RSVP, but when the party's ready to happen, nobody wants to show up. They're not ready. They're not ready. They're not ready. Uh, it reminds me of a story I read recently where a woman and her husband on the way back from their Mexico trip were sitting right at the gate and the flight had a delay of about an hour. Meanwhile, they fall asleep and they fall asleep so deeply that as the airline boards the entire flight within feet of where they are, and as they're calling their names on a microphone, you know, passenger so-and-so, uh, it's time to board, you have 15 minutes, the plane's going to depart in 10 minutes, the plane's going to depart in five minutes. They stayed asleep all the way through until the plane left, woke up an hour after it was gone, and then blamed the airline for not being clear. I know people from a spiritual standpoint who are like that. Christians who, no matter how many times I say, no matter how many times they read it in their Bibles, no matter how many times they hear it fall from the lips of Jesus, be prepared, be ready. They are like the uh, proverbial right fielder in T-ball who sits out there for a generation with no balls coming their way. <laughs> and then finally somebody gets one out there and what are they doing? They're, they're, they're picking uh, the dandelions, right? And it goes by and then all the parents look at them and go, what's the matter with you? I can't believe you weren't ready. It's like, why would you be ready? I mean, if all you're doing is sitting there, well, you, you know, they're not going to be ready for that. You need to be ready if you're the catcher uh, because the pitch is coming about every two seconds. But man, if you got to wait a while, you know, you end up like me. I, I, several years ago, I was in New York City and uh, I decided that after seeing a Broadway show, I was going to take a little walk. It was a beautiful night. And uh, so I started walking. And so uh, where I was staying was up like 105th Street. This is down 42nd Street or so. That's for you math magicians out there. That's about 60 blocks plus. That's not short. That's long distance. All right. And so I said, I'll take a little walk. So uh, I did. I walked about two blocks. And I said, all right, that's enough. I'm going to get on the subway and get on out of here. So I got on the subway or went down the subway tunnel, and I waited. I looked at the schedule. Supposed to be showing up. Nothing came. So I sat there, and I'm like, well, hmm. Uh, I don't, you know, I looked, checked my schedule again, looked at everything, and uh, decided, you know, I think something's wrong here. Uh, and I, all of a sudden, in my mind, a, the, the pizza cart that was right at the top of the subway thing, right where you enter, 
uh, came to mind. It was about 11.30 at night, as I recall. It was after Broadway show. I was like, you know, I think, I bet I'd go get a piece of pizza, come back down here. And so sure enough, I go up there, I order one of those huge pieces of pizza that they, you can only really get in New York City. It's like $2, and it's like half a pizza. Um, and so I'm kind of, you know, getting it, and I was going to go back down, and then I was like, yeah, you know, it's kind of nice up here. I'm just going to do this. And the next thing I know, I'm looking over, and I start seeing people come out of the tunnel. And, uh, and so I was like, there wasn't anybody on the, on the platform when I was down there. So I was like, oh, oh, no. And so I go back down there, and, of course, the train had come and gone. So now I look at the schedule. That was the last train. So now I'm like, oh, shoot. You know, I'm 60-something blocks away. So I end up having to catch a cab. And Bill's like 60 bucks or something to get that far in Manhattan. I was like, come on, man. You know, you have the little subway card, like you pay your 10 bucks for the week or whatever. And it cost me. You can miss your flight. You can miss your subway. You can miss whatever. You missed this one, though, Jesus is going to say. This is the big one. This is the one you can't miss. That's when... The old Boy Scout motto, be prepared, would be handy. And that is when he returns. Now, a few of us would fail to prepare if we were going to go skydiving. Uh, we would not fail to prepare if we were going to hike Mount Everest or plan a wedding. Most people. I've, I've married a couple of couples out of hundreds over the years where they clearly had not thought it through very well. But by and large, you prepare for your wedding day. In most cases, for things we think are important, getting ready is not a problem. Because we understand, if I don't, something really seriously could go seriously wrong. Uh, and yet, no matter what we do, so, so you, you compare those people, right? People that get it. They kind of go, that's important. I want to be there. If there's something that uh, you buy concert tickets to somebody you've always wanted to see, you, you don't decide you're going to leave your house five minutes before the concert starts, if it's important to you. On the other hand, if you're in line at Starbucks and there's a 20-minute long line, inevitably, it might be you or it might be the person in front of you that waits in line the entire time and then gets to the front and goes, um, let me see. You're like, what have you been doing for the last 20 minutes? Like, you know, it's like you might as well ask them, do you guys have coffee here or something like that? It's like, what were you doing? And as I read this parable, I kind of find myself going, okay, it's some combination of the t-ball right fielder, the skydiver, the wedding, and the Starbucks girl. Okay? So it all depends on how you, uh, how you approach the subject itself, how important it is to you, and how prepared you are going in, and how long you can stay prepared for. Uh, so many of Jesus' parables have to do with readiness. We mentioned them before, but nothing tops the parable we've got this morning. You can find it in Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Here's how it reads. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. 
And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, the Lord, open the door to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not know neither today nor the hour. Okay, so let's recap the story here. Now, I'll confess that there's a nerdy part of me. There's some things in here that I kind of want to play around with for a while, like a cat and a ball of yarn or something, but I don't have time to do that. So I'll just ask the questions, and then you play with them later on your own. So, for instance, uh, I look at this, and I go, all right, we got a story about a wedding banquet, and there's a bridegroom, and you have bridesmaids, but you don't have a bride. Where's she? No bride. Uh, well, Jesus tells this parable about wise and foolish. So uh, I think most people kind of, the consensus is that uh, he went with the ten virgins so that they could be divided in two. It's hard to divide a bride into two. Uh, and so he's got them out there five and five. Uh, lots of quirky stuff. Ten virgins, some people will say bridesmaids in translations, but bridesmaids at that time would have had to have been virgins anyway. Uh, so I don't know how big of a deal that is of these ten you got five wise, five foolish. The word used there for foolish is moros in Greek. That's where we get our English word moron from. So you go, well, all right, we got five wise and five morons, essentially. Um, and you may remember uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about the two houses, one built on rock, one built on sand, which, by the way, is kind of a parallel parable to this one. Uh, you know, you don't know when the storm's coming, so when, it's, when it comes, you want to be ready and have your house built the right way so that it doesn't collapse in the storm. This is kind of similar to that. But when he tells that uh, particular parable, the wise is the one who hears Jesus' teaching and does it. It's the equivalent of oil in the lamp. The, the fool is the one who simply hears Jesus' teaching and doesn't do it. So this parable has a similar message with an apocalyptic twist to it. In the story, Jesus says all ten virgins are dressed properly. All have been bridesmaids or been chosen as bridesmaids. They're all sitting at the gate waiting for the bridegroom. All had torches and all had at least some oil in them. However, rather than carrying a little bit of extra oil in case the bridegroom was delayed, the fool simply went with what was already in the lamp and hoped for the best, assumed there wouldn't be a delay. They are more foolish than those of us who drive around with a quarter tank in our cars. Although that may be an economic matter at this point, but before we did it anyway, when it wasn't a matter of economics. Because the stakes are high in this story. In a single task, you had one job. Be there when the bridegroom comes with your lamp burning. It's not about staying awake. Some people say that. I mean, notice both the wise and the foolish both go to sleep. The issue isn't sleep. It's like you can never rest. That's not it. Uh, it isn't the tortoise and the hare or something like that. This is not one of those deals like Ocean's Eleven or something where the, the mall cop falls asleep on the job and somebody sneaks in behind. No, everybody goes to sleep here. But when the bridegroom comes, everybody wakes up, and it's about who you were when the bridegroom showed up, not about whether you slept or not. It's about readiness. It's about the difference between being where uh, being there when Jesus comes and not being there when Jesus comes. And so why weren't the foolish ones there? They weren't there. It's not like he walks up, sees all ten lined up and says, hey, okay, they're gone. So he walks in, there's only five there. Why weren't they there? 
They ran out of oil. And they go at first to the wise and say, hey, can I borrow some of your oil? And they say, no. Because then there might not, we, our lamps might be out by the time the groom gets here. Now, some might look at that as a little bit stingy, but this is an important point in this story. You were responsible for your own lamp. Okay? The bridegroom arrives at midnight, a terribly inconvenient time. Everybody wakes up, and some have no extra oil to sustain their lamps. Their flame has gone out, and they scramble to borrow from others who were prepared. And they realize, hey, you basically go to Walmart, get some more, man. We, we, we don't want to run out too. So why be so stingy? At the bridegroom's return, oil is not something you can borrow. Okay? We can't borrow some readiness from somebody else. Hey, you know what? Lord, my mom grew up Catholic. Is that good enough? Hey, you know what, God? Do you remember how on fire I was when I was in high school? I mean, I know we haven't talked in 50 years, but, and, and I've been living in rebellion since high school, but, but hey, do you, remember, do you remember what I said around that fire at teen camp? I mean, that, if that didn't get you, Lord, I don't know what will. Um, you know, you kind of, we kind of have these ways of trying to borrow other people's oil as a way of, of not having to take responsibility for our own walk of faith, taking responsibility uh, for ourselves. And so we often think, ah, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. You know, hey, I'm really, really glad that there are people out there who read their Bibles so that, 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 that if I need somebody to teach me, then they're there to teach me. But I'm not going to pick up a Bible on my own and read it because that's, 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 you know, that, that's, that's hard. I'm happy. I'll let them, you know, I'll borrow their oil. Now, there's a difference between somebody who's already trying to, to, to fill their lamp and us encouraging each other and doing things like that instead of saying, no, I'm going to go to sleep and when the time comes for accountability, I'm going to steal your oil because I didn't want to be ready. The shocking part of this story is the no that the wise give to the foolish. Now, we can try and explain away why that's okay, but Jesus calls them wise. He doesn't call them stingy. He doesn't call them rude. He doesn't call them ungracious. He calls them wise. So let's say they go ahead and they, you know, take half my oil. Why not? And everybody's burns out. They got 10 people now with no oil in the lamp. Well, who pays the bill now? All 10, for one thing. And who doesn't get honored? The groom. You see? So they're going, no, no, no. Look, I probably might help you or, or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's about the bridegroom. It's not about us. It's not about the fashionability of our lamps. It's about him. And so we will make sure that there is somebody here with their lamps trimmed and burning so that we can do this. It isn't something we can borrow. We've each been given a lamp, sisters and brothers. When you became a Christian, you got handed a lamp with a full tank of oil in it. And it is a lamp for which you will be judged if we read this parable at its face. Now, neither is our readiness determined by how we look. It's not looks. They all look like their lamps are full. Right? It's like a a car, you go out on the Grand Avenue after church, you look at all the cars, you can't tell who's got how much gas in their car. You can tell if you ask everybody to turn their car on. 
You can tell if you ask them all to drive 100 miles. My, uh, my great uncle was a guy named Bill Strop, kind of a famous car guy. And he was famous for the, he, he had his own edition of the Ford Bronco. And there was this contest that they used to, to run where uh, the, the contest was literally how far you could drive on one tank of gas. He made it once from L.A. to Denver on one tank of gas in like a large like SUV kind of Bronco thing. I don't even know how you pull that off, but he did it. Pretty stinking awesome, really. But you know what? He didn't make it to New York. And yet all the other guys who lost the race, you know what else happened to them? They blew a tire. You know, they hit ice somewhere. They ran out. Guys, there is, there's never been a Christian who comes out of the waters of baptism with a full lamp, and that supply on its own lasts them the distance. It's not designed to be that way. Just like your car is not designed to run forever with no gasoline. Your faith is meant to be sustained, and the oil comes from the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. It comes from your commitment to Jesus and the walk of discipleship. Disciples keep the oil of their hearts fully devoted and a life fully committed to Jesus until his return, whether he returns at midnight or whether he returns at a really convenient time. He says, you don't know the day and you don't know the hour. So you have one job and that is be ready, right fielder? I'm ready, you know? And you sit out there and it's keep your fingers out of the dandelions. Keep your eyes fixed on God and on Jesus. And when the time is right, when it's his call, when he decides he wants to show up, then be ready. Now, something else to notice about this parable is that all the bridesmaids, again, they start ready. They all have some oil. But the wise virgins understand that waiting for the bridegroom may require more than an afternoon's patience. I mean, look, I, there's nothing greater. They have no greater privilege than being able to baptize somebody into Christ. That is the most amazing thing in the world. And I don't want to in any way, shape, or form diminish the power of that moment. Having said that, that's the moment you get your lamp. All right? You do not have an infinite supply of oil. That tank's full. And you're walking around with a lot of people who got a lot of lamp. You see, everybody there's got a lamp. Everybody's lamp, for the most part, has some oil in it. But do not make the mistake of thinking that because you got a lamp, that you will be ready when the bridegroom returns. It's never designed. Salvation is not about a one-time momentary decision that you make in your life and then you just turn your back on the Lord from that point forward. No, no, no. It's a commitment. What that commitment is, is a commitment and a covenant with Jesus to say, I will follow you all the days of my life. And I am committed to making sure that if there isn't anybody else standing at the gate when you show up, Lord, I will be there with my lamp burning. You can count on me. I will be there. And so whatever happens uh, in my life, the good news is the Holy Spirit, because of him, the, the oil need not run out. Like the, the, the jar of the widow of Zarephath the, the, that never runs out of oil. Ours can continue to be that way too, current, always sustained and empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way our lamp will run out of oil is if we wait for Christ foolishly. Like a bridesmaid with no extra oil to account for the possibility that he might be delayed. Or just thinking that if we dress for the celebration, that's fine. We might even stand occasionally among those whose lamps burn and oil flasks are filled to the brim and think that, hey, we can blend in with the crowd. 
but he's not fooled. He's not fooled. And when the bridegroom comes, our lack of preparation will be exposed. So we live instead the ready life. You know, kids, if you give them a choice of fireworks, I grew up in a generation where when the 4th of July came, you just went and got fireworks. And you let them off in any way you wanted to. There was no... They were easy to get your hands on where I lived. Uh, I mean, literally, I can remember they had them by schools. They had fireworks stands by the schools. And you could go walk out and just, hey, there you go. All right, let's get some sparklers or get some flowers or cherry bombs or whatever. And you could just buy fireworks. And as a, as a little kid, the one you want is the sparkler. And the sparkler, oh, man. You light it on the end. Woo. And there off it goes, right? And it's gone. And you can even light the cherry bomb. <laughs> Boom. Right? Yeah, the immediate <laughs> Scott. I could just picture you with fireworks, man. Oh, that'd be something. <laughs> right? Fire. Boom. All right, well, that lasted a split second. Exciting. Bottle rockets, a little better. They at least get in the sky. Piccolo Pete's. They make lots of noise for a while. You know what kind of a flame actually gets you through your life is a pilot light. It's, it's not very exciting. Hey, kids, come here. Let's, let's go to the garage. And, come here. Look at this. <laughs> who, needs, who needs fireworks when you can look at the pilot light anytime you want? <laughs> Boring. But you know what it does? That's how your whole life operates, man, is by the pilot light. It, it's, it's what gives you hot water in your house. Right? And you know when it's out. There's something like that that says, no, what we're supposed to have is more of a constant flame. And, you know, I think it's not sexy. We celebrate with champagne, but we live on water. Okay? And I think people think a lot of times that the champagne is what they're supposed to experience as a Christian and in reality, what you understand is, no, I got living water that I live by, and that allows me to never thirst. So then if I ever have an opportunity where I can celebrate or whatever, then I'll do that. But I'm never going to do that thinking that I can live on that. I can't. There's something about this here that really does stand out to us. It's not a, a moment of preparation or something like that. I mean, it's one thing to be generous once. Uh, to, to walk with the Lord for a day, it's different to do that for a lifetime. It's one thing to forgive somebody once, and it's, it, it's another to do it 70 times 7. It's one thing to love Jesus on Sundays. It's another to love him on Monday through Saturday, too. And what it's saying is when Jesus returns, we're not going to be recognized by our gear, even the NBC t-shirt, which is probably as close as you can get. But the NBC t-shirt even, you may not be recognized by that. He's going to check, is the lamp burning or not? Is there a flame there? We'll be recognized by our readiness. Um, I was a good Boy Scout. Motto of the Boy Scouts is what? Be prepared. I can't do a dang thing that I did when I was in Boy Scouts. It's like, I used to be able to tie all those knots and, you know, do everything else. I can't do it anymore. You know why? Because I haven't done them since. 
Those of you who are sitting here and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I, I don't know what, uh, I feel like that flame went out a long time ago, so I've been on autopilot ever since. Maybe I can suggest to you, do some of the things that you did at the first. Go back, remember, call upon your faith. Call upon those times when you were on fire. Uh, I've done, I, I literally will do this. I've told people this several times. I, I, will, I have different moments in my life where music that was going on at the time or that I was listening to when I was preparing sermons or I was walking closely with God was going, and I will, I will at times just pull that music back, and it's amazing how like everything kind of starts coming back into view and focus, and I start feeling differently. I start feeling like I did then. Get the Bible out. Get into the Word of God. Go to Him in prayer and ask. If you don't want to read your Bible, ask, go to God in prayer and ask for the desire. And your Father, who loves to give good gifts to His children, will answer. You know, let's talk about discipleship briefly. Disciple of Jesus is not an uber-Christian. It's not the Eagle Scout of Christians. Discipleship is Christianity, okay? It is. There's disciples and not disciples. <laughs> There's only one kind of Christian, all right? It's all there is. The story of Jesus reminds us that it is not looks or lamps or long dresses that separate the wise from the foolish. It's readiness. It's not a matter of dressing for the occasion or waiting at the gate. It's living with the oil of the kingdom life abundantly. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite uh, theologians, uh, he was talking about, there was a book, very influential book that, that uh, almost any Christian teacher around will have, will have read it and, and has been deeply influenced by it. It was called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote this book, it was called The Cost of Discipleship. And Willard came alongside and he affirms everything that Bonhoeffer says, but he, he talks about instead, because Bonhoeffer was really trying to get uh, war against cheap grace, people who thought, okay, I just become a, a Christian in one momentary thing and I just live the rest of my life as though Jesus doesn't really exist and I don't really care. And that uh, that's okay because that's what grace does. And he's like, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it completely. So he talks about the, the power of discipleship and he talks about the cost of discipleship. Willard comes along and he wants to write about the cost of non-discipleship. So he writes this. <clears throat> it was right and good of Bonhoeffer to point out that one cannot be a disciple of Christ without forfeiting things normally sought in human life, that one who pays little in the world's coinage to bear his name has reason to wonder where he or she stands with God. But the cost of non-discipleship is far greater. Even when this life alone is considered, then the price paid to walk with Jesus, constantly learning from him. Non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, non-discipleship costs you exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring in John 10.10. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ is, after all, an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it with him and learn the meekness and lowliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. He's saying it sounds exhausting on the surface to be standing there waiting. But he says, no, the cost of living with no oil in your lamp is a lot higher. And it's not just for what happens at the end. It's what happens in the meantime. You're sitting in the dark while you're waiting for him. Right. 
There's no, you don't have any light to, 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 to last you until he gets there. Um, those of you who have been in the, uh, I mean, Jesus says that when he's talking about money, he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body, and if your eye is bad, you're old, you're, how, how great is the darkness? You know, when, when you're walking in darkness, that darkness is darker than any darkness that's out there. And so you're being cost not just the, the verdict of Jesus at the end of time, but it's the abundance of the life that Jesus offers you in the here and the now. It's both. We cannot use oil without a lamp, sisters and brothers, but a lamp without oil is a vase. It is a useless accessory. And in the same way, a bridesmaid who isn't there for the wedding celebration is no bridesmaid at all. I do a lot of weddings. I have watched bridesmaids misbehave in ways you can't fathom. I have seen, uh, and my favorite are the ones where the bridesmaids get left behind because they were off doing something because they were bored with the groom and the bride taking their pictures. And they were tired of waiting, but they decided that they wanted to go have some fun, and then the motorcade takes off without them, and they're left at the church building or whatever. So then they get to the thing, and they want to do their entry, and they realize that, hey, where's Lucy? You know, Lucy and Tom or whatever, they don't know. So now they have to wait for the bridesmaid to get there. Not cool. Not cool. Because as a bridesmaid, you have one job. Drinking is not the job. The job is to support the bride. If you're a groomsman, getting drunk is not your job. Embarrassing the groom is not your job. It's standing by the guy's side because he's honoring you as his friend in the biggest moment of his life. So stand by. Be ready. When you do it, you know that it's going to be a long day. But the fact that it's going to be a long day, the way that you approach that day is going to, t- is going to speak a lot, right? If I go in thinking, man, I got to spend my whole Saturday at this wedding. I mean, ugh, you know, as a, as a groomsman. Or you can go, my buddy's getting married today. This is going to be an amazing day. And I get to do it all day long. You see the difference? And so in one case, he's going he's gonna to throw himself into it. He's gonna, and he's probably going to come out being a great groomsman. Whereas the other one's like, man, dude, I was, gonna, I was hoping to finish the second part of Ozark. Season two, or the final season this today, but I guess I don't have to wait till Monday now, you know. And so he goes in, and, uh, you know, hey, man, look, why don't you all take the pictures a little faster, you know. And they, you know, you know you're kind of the naggy, wimpy little groomsman or, or whatever. It's a betrayal of the, the sacred moment there for that kind of attitude to take place. Just like it's a betrayal of the sacredness of the cross for a Christian to ignore the bridegroom their entire life and then want entrance to the banquet at the end. Willard asks in the same book, why would a person who doesn't care much for Jesus' fellowship in the present want to be in fellowship with him for eternity? I think that's a pretty good question. If you want to be with Christ for eternity, guess what? Good news is you can start now. You can start now. Another point here, our lack of readiness will not delay the banquet. The great banquet starts when he arrives, not when we're ready. Uh, I am a husband of a wife, and I have three daughters. Two of them drive. 
That means I pump a lot of gasoline is what that means. Myself, I personally pump the gas. I pump more gasoline than Exxon, dude. <laughs> I get out and I pump the gas. And the thing that, that I cannot, you know, still can't quite, and I know part of it is that, that they, they don't like pumping gas. So this is, that's part of it. But I go, when you drop the car in the driveway and there's no gasoline in the car, say, what, 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 what if we have to go somewhere urgently and we can't because we don't have any gas in the car? Oh, it'll be fine. You know how many times I've been told, it'll be fine. And then you know how many times we have met catastrophe because of that? <laughs> the day, I'm not making this up, the day we opened this building, somebody had taken, I had a, a classic car that I was driving at the time, and somebody had decided to drive it without saying anything and left it on empty, and I ran out of gas coming to church that morning. And I had to be picked up on the edge of the road by one of you to get me here, all right? That, folks, is what happens when you're not ready because you don't know, you don't know, all right? Now, again, I wanna go back to Bonhoeffer's point. This is not a burdensome request. It's an abundant request. Some of you need a lamp, some of you need oil. If you need a lamp, Okay, then that means you need to come to Jesus. You, 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 need to, you need to say, Jesus, I'm with you for life. And when you do that, you need to understand that that's a commitment to having that thing have some oil in it when he returns. Now, some of you need oil. And the good news for you is you were sitting in an oil dispensary. That's part of what the church does is we dispense oil to one another. We're not necessarily borrowing it. Hey, give me your oil and I'll take that. It's like, no, it's like we found the fountain of oil. It's the Holy Spirit. And we experience it in community. And we can help each other figure out, hey, you know what? Oh, man, dude, I'm down low or whatever. And you don't get it from your brothers and sisters. You get it from the Holy Spirit sometimes through your brothers and sisters. But it's coming from him. And the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to the Spirit, the more your lamp just starts filling and filling and filling and filling and filling and filling. And the good news is, too, sometimes it can be filled quickly. It's just like, you know, when you go get gas and, and stuff and then you plug it in and you go to a cheap gas station and the pumps take eight years to, to fill your tank. Okay, sometimes it happens a little bit like that. Other times, you know, it's like a fire hose. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, man, it's full, it's burning. And so where do I start? Okay, I would start with doing what you're doing right now. Show up. That sounds weird, but it's hard to get gas if you're not at a gas station. Okay, if you're just out driving around and you run out of gas, you don't blame the gas stations. Okay, they're everywhere. <laughs> okay, and their job is to provide gas. Just like that, the church is here to help be a blessing and help you encounter Jesus in new and fresh and constant ways. Sometimes it's jumping in and serving and helping work the oil dispensary so that other people can do it. That's a blessing. But if you want to get in shape, you don't just like sign up for the gym and hope for the best. That's like the equivalent of getting your, your lamp. You need to go. You got to put on your shoes, get dressed for whatever you're going to do, and at least get there because your chances of getting there, of, of doing something if you go to the gym, are much higher than if you do not go at all. 
Just go sit in the parking lot if you want. Eventually, you're going to have the courage to get out of the car and go inside. And then once you go inside, do that for a week. I'm going to just walk in, wave to the staff, and walk out. Eventually, you're going to stick. <laughs> and you're going to go, okay, and that's some of you. You show up late, you leave early. You're coming in just like that to Planet Fitness going, hey, everybody, good to see you. There's my cup man's in the I'm out. That's fine. Eventually, you're going to start doing something. And when you do, all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself getting in better and better and better shape. It's a process. And I'm out of time, so I'm going to have to wrap it up, but I'll say this. Um, make, it's about making concrete decisions that put you in a position to have your lamp refilled on an ongoing basis and then being prepared. Like these guys. Look at these guys. Now don't, then. <laughs> Orin, did I leave it out? There we go, these guys. You ever see the the gaff of videos of when the, one of these guys finally cracks. People go up, try to make them laugh. And they go up and they try to mess with them or whatever. This guy in the third over, he's got his thing down over his eyes. I don't know what he's thinking. He's probably asleep standing up is what he's doing. But it's like, you got one job. I'm standing here and I'm going to protect the queen. Come at me, bro. That's what they're saying, right? Something like that. We're standing there outside the banquet, not asleep. We're not messing around. The bridegroom shouldn't come up and go, I'm sorry, who are you again? <laughs> oh, I remember you. I saw you 40 years ago. It shouldn't be like that. It should be something where when he comes, there's raucous celebration as he walks into this beautiful bridegroom, uh, bridegroom and wedding feast that's spoken of at the end of Revelation in these glowing terms about how beautiful it's going to be when the bride, which is the church, is finally with the bridegroom. And so we look forward to that and we anticipate it with our lives. May God bless the hearing of his word. Uh, let's go ahead and share the Lord's Supper together. And as we do this, this is a way in which we refill our lamps. Uh, you should have gotten the elements when you walked in. If you did not, we do uh, put your hand in the air and we'll bring them to you. We, uh, when we do this, we remember Jesus who gave us these words, but also what he did for us on the cross, the body and blood of Jesus and as he was crucified for our sins so that we could live with him. But he didn't just do it so that at the end of time, our sins would be atoned for. It does that, but it's so much more than that. Here in this meal, he says, I want to eat with you. And he talks about, he shares with the disciples that he won't be taking that meal again until he eats it with them in his kingdom. And so in the meantime, we're back here and we take it together as a, as a harbinger of what's to come, the day that we'll share the wedding banquet of the Lamb with him. So with that in mind, let us pray. Heavenly Father, with bread and cup now, we say thank you. And we say thank you for calling us uh, to be ready, for, for, for giving us a wake-up call. Father, for those of us who are on fire right now, keep the fire burning. Help us to have a pilot light going spiritually all of our lives. Uh, Father, for those of us who are on empty, we're worried and beat up and needing help. Father, I pray today that you would fill. 
and that you would give us a sense of abundance and readiness, Father, uh, as we pursue the way of Jesus. We pray this in his name.